Welcome back to the Best First Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Valewa. So this episode is the last one for season one. I, I just really want to thank you all for tuning in every week. As many episodes that you've been able to get down, those of you who've emailed me through the website, as well as people who've sent me messages via Instagram or text message, I, I just really appreciate all the love that we're getting. And so I'm really excited about this next episode. <clears throat> I'm actually kind of nervous about it, and you may hear it in my voice, but we're going to push through, and, and I hope that you all really enjoy this. This one's quite different. Um, it is a solo episode, and this is the one that we're using for the last one for the season. Uh, I wondered if listeners were interested in learning more about my story. I mean, I've interviewed so many great people. It's been really exciting, and hearing all their stories of success and their challenges, you know, has just been inspirational. About just listening to how they they work through so many difficulties, and and so you know, I, it kind of made me curious about if people wanted to hear my story as well. So I, I decided to do this episode, and I do hope you like it. My uh, current role, uh, usually we talk about the current roles that people are holding, and my current role is the Director for Career Services at the Brown School at Washington University in St. Louis. Much of my job revolves around providing leadership for an office that supports students as they transition into their internships, uh, into careers, and beyond after they leave our graduate programs in social work, public health, and social policy. So it's a really exciting exciting job. I just started it July 1st. Um, it's an opportunity for me to do this work with my team through coaching people, programming, advising, and so many other different strategies that we use. Essentially, my broader field I'm a part of is something called student affairs. And for those of you out there who are listening, who know me personally, who kind of want to know in a nutshell what this career is about, really we help college students mostly outside of the classroom, sometimes inside of the classroom, But our job is to really support the student experience through leadership opportunities, advising, coaching, counseling, and so much more, crisis management, so many other things. Because we know that, you know, when your students go to college, for those of you who moved away to college, uh, you know that you spend a certain amount of time in the classroom, but most of your time is spent outside of the classroom. And so that's where our focus is. We focus on students where they spend the majority of their time to make sure they have an overall great college experience. And so we do it in so many different ways. And um, my career path was an interesting one. I, I Initially, I, I started off thinking I was going to be an art teacher. And so I uh, decided to pivot at some point in graduate school and and started my career after grad school in 2002 at Brandeis University. It was my first job after finishing my undergrad and graduate work at the University of Iowa. And I made the most of it. But at the time, I was married. And, you know, for family reasons, we decided to move closer to family. Her side of the family was in St. Louis. So we moved here and and I was able to get a job at Washington University working in the dorms, working in housing and residence life. And that's really where I spent the bulk of my early career, just working in the dorms. So for those of you who've ever either lived in the dorms or know people who lived in the dorms, you know, it could be a pretty wild ride. You see a lot of things when you get thousands of human beings living together. I mean, if you just break down a percentage of different behavior, both positive and negative, that you see in the real world. You just get it kind of as a little bit of a microcosm of of what happens in the larger world. So, you know, I dealt with everything from uh, planning programs for students to, you know, advising students on leadership to dealing with disciplinary issues to even dealing with things like in my first job, and I dealt with this multiple times, losing students, you know, students, people pass away at young ages, and it's unfortunate. And so really having to work through um, helping students as they endure the loss um, of a friend or family member. And so um, I've dealt with a wide range of things. But at some point after working at WashU, I transitioned to Coe College, 
then back to WashU and then St. Louis University, all in housing. So I did work in the residence life area for about 11 years. And then at some point I pivoted to the nonprofit sector and I worked doing college access. Now, you have to understand my background is being a first generation college student meant that I was unaware of college prior to uh my junior year. And I'll tell a little more about that later. But um, when I moved to the nonprofit sector, my job was essentially to help students who are first generation, low income from the St. Louis region um, get to college. And so it was a really exciting passion work. I loved doing that work for a little over a year. But at some point, I pivoted uh, back to higher education and returned to Washington University in 2015, where I took on a role in uh, the admissions office at the Brown School. So I did that job for almost five years before transitioning into my current role. And uh, I've just really been enjoying this, this next challenge to my life in this next section. Regarding my upbringing, um, at this point, guests usually tell a little bit about where they came from. And so uh, just to tell you, I was born in Uganda, Africa. Um, we left there in the 70s. My family moved to the U.S. when I was one years old. Uh, Idi Amin was the dictator at that time. And a lot of violence and, and, and changes were happening within the country that made it untenable for our family. And so from the help of really uh, missionaries, we were able to move to the United States and we settled in in Carson, it's a little suburb of Los Angeles. And then we moved our way down to Orange County. So um, I'm one of five kids. Uh, I'm the middle kid, the middle child. Uh, that probably makes a lot of sense for a lot of people who know me. Uh, but I have two brothers and two sisters. Uh, one of my brothers is a twin who I've mentioned in the past. I'm the older twin, so that puts me squarely in the middle of the family. And we settled in Garden Grove. And growing up in Garden Grove, California, was just an amazing experience. Um, if you listen to earlier episodes when we talked about uh, my interviews with Jason Dean Hart or Josh Nodeboom, um, Garden Grove is a very diverse community. Um, you just have all these different cultures and all these different cultural experiences. Um, our high schools were, were always fun to participate in sports and so many other things. And so I gained so much from that and actually was able to steal and borrow a lot of things from different cultures and incorporate them into my life. And that was just an exciting exciting part of growing up in Southern California. Plus, it's Southern California, where the weather is beautiful. We were 30 minutes from the beach, and so we used to take the bus to the beach for a few quarters and, and hang out all day in the summer. That Those are times that I really took for granted, and I really miss them. I look at them with fond memories. Um, but somewhere, you know, through my public school upbringing, um, you know, I, I was always pretty decent in school. And, you know, fortunately, um, the guys I hung out with growing up uh, played sports. And so that's kind of the, tra the, the route that I went. So I played football. Uh, I was a wrestler four years through high school. And I also, um, you know, ran track a little bit the first couple of years, at least, of high school. Somewhere in my junior year, um, I decided, well, actually, end of sophomore year, I decided to, to try my hand at high school dating. I probably had, like, girlfriends in 
elementary and, and junior high, uh, just young love. But um, in high school, my end of my sophomore year, I decided to start dating somebody. And that relationship ended disastrously. I mean, she's a great person, but we were all kids. And she kind of fell for another guy who was a friend of mine. And so she left me for that guy. And, and when she did, it really, oh, it was painful. That was, you know, I, I, I dread that other people have had to go through that experience. And it, it really did suck. And around the same time that she broke up with me, um, a good friend of mine, Matt Kellogg, asked me if I wanted to transfer to his school, Calvary Chapel High School. Calvary had this great wrestling program. Our coach, John Azevedo, you know, was this 1980 Olympian. He was on the team, the team that when the U.S. boycotted the Olympics. And uh, John was just a whole other level of wrestling. I had wrestled under another coach, Coach Price, before, who was excellent. Um, But John Azevedo was this opportunity for me to to go to a team that was probably going to win state. And so I, I transitioned to to Calvary Chapel. I also had a chance to play football there my the next year as well, and they had a pretty solid football program. So I was super excited about sports. And to be honest, I was running away from our problems. I, you know, I'm going through this crushing, soul-crushing, heartbreaking breakup, not understanding you know, wh- what was going on with somebody leaving me for somebody else. It was the first time I experienced that. And so, you know, it was really challenging. And so I don't, I don't recommend you run from your problems, but I'm just trying to be honest here to tell you all that that's part of the reason why when Matt asked me, I said, yep. And so a lot of my friends didn't know, but the next week I was signing out of classes and transitioning to Calvary Chapel. Uh, when I got to Calvary Chapel, um, the counselor, the guidance counselor, her name was Mary Roberts, and she was married to one of the wrestling coaches, Jeff Roberts. And she looked at my transcripts and she said, okay, this looks good. So what do you want to do after high school? Do you want to work? Do you want to go to junior college? Wait, do you want to go to college? And I just remember her asking that question. And I remember one thing looking back, and I've said this multiple times, it was the first time somebody asked me if I wanted to go to college, which I think, you know, is awesome on Mary. Like, that's just great that this private school had a person who asked that question. But it's really a shame that a lot of young people go to school and don't know all the options available to them, college, trade school, work, whatever. That college is not even an option that's mentioned to them. And so it took to my uh, middle of my junior year, in this meeting where Mary Roberts asked me if I wanted to go to college. And I said, yeah, yeah, I want to go to college. Never even thinking about it. And what was interesting about that was um, when she looked at my transcripts, apparently all my classes were on track to go to college. I was taking the right classes, the right coursework. And so she kind of planned out the next year and a half um, of my academics, and I was able to do that. So that was super mind-blowing, the power of just powerful questions. And I just love the idea of paying attention to the questions people ask you, but also being able to ask powerful questions. And something as simple as, do you want to go to college, really opened up the possibilities to me that I, I had no idea existed. The other thing about going to Calvary Chapel was um, I wrestled. And when I wrestled on a team, one of the things about wrestling at an elite high school program is that you do a lot of repetition. You just do the same things over and over and over again. And it sounds pretty boring, but I've learned that's one of my keys uh, to my life right now. And, and I've, I've watched that as a through, through line uh, throughout my life is, is this idea of doing something over and over again until you get good, until you get some sort of mental or muscle memory. And so that when you're tired, you re- default back to that thing you've done over and over again. And so just do cool stuff right? Do good stuff consistently. Like if you want to have integrity, it's hard, but just do it consistently, little by little. And every day it just becomes easy and you default to it. So I learned about reputation through wrestling, which is huge. And it's a lesson that I took with me. Um, The other thing about high school is I graduated my uh, senior year from Calvary Chapel on my birthday. 
My birthday is June 15th. Shout out to the Geminis. What's one thing that's kind of interesting is that I have a twin brother, as I mentioned. His, he was born after midnight, so he's, his birthday is June 16th. So I get 24 hours where I get to say I'm old, older than him technically. But anyway, I graduated on my birthday. And what was so important about this was, you know, be, as I mentioned before in previous episodes, just the violence that we experienced and the stats that were constantly on the news about young black men's uh, chances of either being incarcerated or or getting murdered, um, we're constantly streaming across, you know, our, our news. We didn't have social media. We just had it on the news. And so I grew up uh, in some of those latter years really being kind of in constant hypervigilance, just constant struggle and fear, um, you know, to the point where even, I guess, by the time I got to my junior year or my senior year, I really stopped going to parties or any other social events that I was not familiar with the people who were hosting it because, you know, all the fights that I would see, the shootings and, and other things that I would see, and so I thought that, you know, I, I may I have a strong chance I'm not going to survive. So when I when I graduated, I remember beyond getting through the speech that I gave, I remember um, feeling this incredible sense of relief. It was almost like I did something I didn't think I was going to do. And I have to say this. There is no reason why in this country or in this world, but let's just stick to the United States in this country. There's no reason why anybody should grow up feeling like there's a better chance of them dying than graduating from high school. I mean, graduating from high school is tough enough, but the idea that you have that up against death is just a, a really disturbing thing. Again, when I look back at it, it's, it's really unfortunate, but I am so glad and I'm so grateful for Ken and Debbie Kellogg to you know bringing me into their household, Matt Kellogg, Sabe Younger, so many people who really took good care of me along the way. Debbie Van Hook, you know, one of my earliest mentors um, who really took me in, you know, she was an art teacher who helped me by letting me volunteer at the local juvenile halls with uh, some incarcerated youth to teach art, which, you know, led me into, you know, going and studying art in college because I wanted to be like Debbie Van Hook. Well, now her last name is not uh, Van Hook anymore, but yeah, she was just an incredible person. So, so many people were surrounding me. So surrounding, you know, being lucky and fortunate to be surrounded by so many good people, was really incredible. The other thing I remember, it's uh, the story about just uh, one of my friend's uncles was at a summer league football game, and I've told the story to friends before and, and people I care about, but I remember we were playing summer league, which is essentially football, and it's like a seven-on-seven seven or eight-on-eight eight football game, and there's, there's hitting involved, but there's no tackling. But I remember this guy, he was a real big guy for like Valencia High School, and he was just destroying people on our team. He was just uh, wreaking havoc and I, I just remember watching this guy. He was big and intimidating, and he was busting people up left and right. If you came across in the middle, he'd lower his shoulder and, sh- and chest-check you and knock you down. And I just remember part of me was just afraid of him because he was so big. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a fish story, though. You go fishing, and you caught the, uh, you know, I caught a 10-pound bass. Well, uh, you know, in my, in my mind, the guy was 6'5 and, you know, 300. But, he, you know, he was still bigger than me. I know that much as a 160-pound high school senior. So anyways, this guy, uh, I remember I realized I, I was afraid of him, and so I had to take him on. I just had to. I had to just face my fear with this guy because I just, I, the, 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 the idea of playing the rest of that game in fear of this guy was way worse than finally just facing him and taking him on. So I remember one play, um, I was coming across the middle, and I had to block him, and he was there. And I laid into him as hard as he laid into the rest of my teammates. I mean, I knocked him good. And I remember him flying and hitting the ground. And, you know, it didn't feel good to me, but I just remember I was the one standing and he was the one on the ground. And I, and I just, 
I ran back to my huddle and, and, you know, with not much fanfare, maybe a little excitement from the teammates. And I can tell you that guy stopped bullying the team. He just stopped hitting as hard the rest of the game. He was a non-factor. And just taught me this lesson about these big, bad things that we're afraid of in life. Sometimes they're just, they're just so big and so bad. And sometimes it just takes courage to face them anyway. You know, whether it's paying a bill or, or you know, having a difficult conversation at work you know, or, or just, you know, facing any type of fear that you're fe- leaving a, a difficult relationship, just any type of fear that you face in life. If you're willing to face that big, bad fear, it's usually not as big and bad. It might hurt a little bit, but you'll come out on top if you're willing to face it more times than not. And that was a lesson that was really important. But what was really cool about this experience was my friend's uncle came up to me after the game. He was super excited and pumped. And he was like, Josh, you're just amazing. That hit was incredible. And I was excited that somebody actually paid attention to it. And then he said to me, Josh, do you realize you're amazing? Like you could do anything, like you could do anything you want to. And, you know, as a 17 year old, maybe 16 year old at the time, uh, maybe right about 17, I just, I remember those words just echoed in my brain. They just bounced around the walls of my skull and, and just, it just kind of just enmeshed in my brain about you can do anything. I, Josh could do anything. And I remember after that, that his voice would come up at when I was in college and I was taking on different challenges or, or trying out for different things or applying for different student organizations. I remember his voice saying, you can do anything. Again, the power of words, the willingness to share your feelings about people. Don't just hold them in, y'all. Like sharing with people. You never know the impact that they're going to have. And, and this person had this amazing impact. I rode that wave all the way through a lot of my life, this idea that I could do anything, including starting this podcast. is just a dream, and now it's something that's a reality. All right, so, you know, I, I ended up moving on to college, and I'll just, the short version of that is, I went to the University of Iowa, studied art to be like Debbie, and then eventually, um, I have a lot of Debbies in my life that are awesome, but eventually, um, you know, I uh, pivoted after I changed to grad school in art education, I did a master's there, and then I went to student development and post-secondary education, which had prepared me to work with, um, with, with college kids. And then I was going to do a PhD at the time. And when I was married, my wife at the time uh, said, you know, you need to start working. We had a child. Uh, you know, my son Harold was born in 1999 when I was starting grad school. And so, um, I, you know, I, I, I think she was right. So I started the career um, instead of being a professional student. And, you know, really work moved forward. And, and the one thing I want to say is that, you know, sometimes you watch a movie and, they, and somebody talks up the movie and it's just not as good as as advertised. Graduating from college, similar to graduating from high school, was better than advertised. When I walked across the stage, there was no more of a sublime experience as walking across the stage as an undergrad and receiving my undergraduate degree. Um, now I'm getting my Ph.D. I'm going to defend my dissertation here. Um, this semester and be Dr. Josh Lael. You can still call me Josh or Dr. J or whatever you want to call me. Um, I figure I have master's degrees and nobody calls me Master Josh. So you can, I figure you can just call me Josh. Anyway, um, you know, getting ready to finish this PhD and, and you know, life is moving forward. And, and that kind of takes me into to my career. I think at this point, we'll take a little break before we get into the big question of what my best worst thing was. So um, for those of you who've listened to this podcast, uh, whether this is your first episode or this is your 12th or 14th or whatever number we're at right now, 
Um, the best worst thing is the question where we ask our guests typically, uh, or ask our guests typically, uh, what's a personal or professional setback that you endured? What's the story that, what happened? Um, how did you get through it? Like, what was the things or the steps that you took to get through that particular difficulty or hardship? And then what did you learn on the other end that you want to share with listeners that hopefully maybe they could possibly take something from? And so we'll get into this and have to say that this is a, this is a hard story to, to share. Um, it's a hard story to share. I think, you know, there's been so many good things that have happened in my life and, and some tough things, of course, that happened in all of our lives. And I'm just, of course, sharing this one. Um, it happened in probably from the time span of 2011 to 2013. I'd entered a, a relationship that we were just weren't good for each other. It was a toxic relationship for both of us. And, and so, of course, behaviors on both of our parts were probably not the greatest, definitely not the greatest. And, but one of the behaviors I picked up on was um, drinking on a daily basis. I, I, you know, I partied in college and a little bit in high school um, and drank and drank as a professional, but it was never a daily thing. You know, it was usually weekends, Fridays, Saturdays. But um, in this relationship, we both had a habit of drinking on a daily basis, and, and that was new to me. And so, I, in fact, I never had had even alcohol in my house, really, rarely had beer or wine or anything else. But at this stage, you know, I drank on a daily basis. And so now you have this this, this convergence of this difficult relationship um, where I'm acting out of character and dealing with, you know, some behavior that I probably didn't have boundaries to, to protect myself from and this daily drinking just to cope and to numb. And it just got bad. And so the relationship ended in, uh, well, the relationship lasted a while, but the the marriage ended briefly after our wedding. We got, this was my second marriage. And now I'm getting ready to head towards a second divorce and, you know, I'm thinking all the things that people think when they go through embarrassing public things, right? Uh, just embarrassed about, you know, I'm a two-time loser. Um, you know, here I am. I've, I've moved my son in with this person, you know, because he was with me part-time and and also with his, his mother, who's a wonderful person. Uh, shout out to Tiffany. Um, but then, you know, and of course, she's the ideal mother that I couldn't choose a better mother for my son. But um, here I am exiting the second relationship and I've picked up on the way out this this habit of of drinking. So, you know, I start drinking on a regular basis. You know, depression starts to skyrocket. You know, work is really hard. I'm working for a, a supervisor that's um, a hurt person and uh, very, very demanding and very dominating in his in, in his uh, domineering, I guess, in his his affect and his his approach to his leadership and and, you know, my team, you know, I had some toxic members on my team and, and quickly I became a toxic member of the team. You know, I started letting my team down, missing work, um, sleeping in, um, being depressed, not wanting to get out of bed. I, I remember um, one of the hardest things at this time in my life was uh, waking up every morning and having this experience of thinking. The first thought that went through my mind when I opened my eyes was, I'm still here. Damn. Just a, just a very dark place of just not even wanting to be here. You know, this life had just become so overwhelming. And I can tell you for a fact, folks, that alcohol does not help. It, you know, it numbs for a moment, but you, what you find is uh, the problems just get worse. And so, of course, I'm, 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 I'm losing my, my touch at the workplace. I'm not able to effectively lead at the senior leadership role. And, and that's my responsibility. Yeah, I had toxic members. Yeah, I had ambitious members. Yeah, I had a tough boss. But, you know, I didn't do anything to help those relationships because I was ineffective. 
on how I handled this. And so eventually, um, after a series of stints at home and, and not being able to keep up, I decided I wanted to resign. I mean, the, the, the VP at the time offered me to report to him so I could have a new supervisor. But effectively, I lost the trust of my entire team. And, and I knew that I wasn't doing them any favors or myself. And I knew that my behavior at home, which I didn't share with anybody, was horrific. I mean, I started with a six-pack, thinking I could drink a six-pack at night. Then, you know, I thought, you know, well, maybe I'll just get a 12-pack because I was running to the store getting another six-pack and if I'd run out or run low. And, and I thought, well, I'll just get a 12-pack, keep that in the fridge, and that way I can do six and then go to the store every other day. Well, instead, that drinking of a six-pack turned into drinking of a 12-pack every night, which is a, it's an, it's an outrageous amount to drink on a daily basis. And as you can imagine, that just made the depression worse. And, it, you know, and I, I was not dealing with whatever it was whether it was the divorce or the two divorces, whether it was challenges at work, whether it was growing up to a single mother and, and having all the trauma that was inflicted on our family by a, a difficult situation there, things that I, I can't even say on this this podcast because they're just so horrific, the things that happen to family members. just And whatever I wasn't dealing with was being replaced by alcohol, but the brain has a funny way of working. What you don't deal with your brain will push to the surface. And I know a lot of you out there know what I'm talking about. It can show up in anxiety. It can show up in depression. It can show up in frustration, anger, broken relationships. It can show up in a lot of different ways. And, and it showed up in probably all those ways when it came to me. So here I am uh, drinking on a regular basis. You know, if my son was home with me, I would I would uh, make him dinner, have a beer with while he uh, ate his dinner. And then when he'd go to sleep, I'd continue my drinking when he was not with me. I'll continue to drink. And so it got to the point where I needed to quit the job. So I, so when I, when I quit that job, they gave me a, a pretty good severance package. You know, so I had a ton of money and that could float me for a while to get the new job. But of course, that's not where my brain was. My brain was focused on drinking and numbing and sleeping and not being awake. And, you know, when my son wasn't with me those days, I would drink all day. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And one of the things that I have to be honest about here on this podcast is, when you are abusing yourself, drinking and doing anything else, you do deplorable things. And I am, I am a flawed human being. And I, I did things that I would judge other people for, behaviors that I'm not proud of. Uh, and just this, this really, really dark place, you know, just, just nihilistic perspective that nothing else mattered and I didn't want to be here. And I was barely holding on for fatherhood. But I would have these, these moments where I would think, you know, I don't want to be here. And I remember... I would drive my car drunk after maybe a night of drinking out, um, being unemployed, anything else. And uh, I remember just, I remember thinking sometimes when I'll be speeding in the highway, totally intoxicated, what would happen if I could just jerk the wheel? Maybe I could just jerk the wheel. And maybe I can get in this horrific accident. There was nobody on the highway with me or rarely any people. So, it would be a single car collision, and maybe I could end it that way. And if I ended it that way, maybe people would think it was just an accident, even if I was drinking. Maybe it was not intentional. It's a very dark place to be. Um, and that still wasn't enough. And so here I am in this dark place, and uh, I remember um, really being upset and and, and talking to, um, going out for drinks with a, a mentor of mine, Jill Stratton, somebody I'm going to get on the podcast for next season. Uh, she's a senior leader over at Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. And, and Jill Stratton has been just a, a sister and a close friend and mentor. And 
I remember complaining to her about all the bad things, right? You know, the, the relationship ending, the, the job and all the bad people. In fact, I've spent most of the time talking about the job that I'd left and, and how it was everybody else's fault. I wasn't taking any personal responsibility at the time. And I remember Jill looking at me and saying, Josh, I want to ask you a question and you don't need to answer this now, but you need to think about this. Why is this leaving this job, why is this the best thing that could happen to you at this stage in your life, at this time in your life? Why is this the best thing? And that was an interesting question because, you know, at the time I could think of many more reasons why it was better than to, to leave it than to stay and why it was better. And that was a good thing. But that was just a seed that was planted because things would get worse. Um, but it's just amazing. Again, say what's on your mind, folks. You don't know because Jill Stratton planted the seed, which effectively turned to this podcast, the best worst thing, that reframe. And I, and I utilize that tool still to this day of asking myself when I'm going through a tough situation, why is this the best thing that could happen to me right now? So the final night, my, my worst thing was um, I had a night of starting my drinking and my son was with his mother. And and so this is in 2013. This is in uh, April of 2013. I remember um, having some drinks and a buddy called me or texted me and said he was going out to a club down not too far from where I live if I wanted to meet up with him. I said, sure. So I went out, met him up at the bar and uh, we were drinking. It was a pretty big crowd. And I remember just, you know, already being buzzed showing up there and just having a good time being publicly, you know, firing on all cylinders, being very charismatic and connecting with people and flirting and all the good stuff you do. And, but still, you know, just putting it on the front, wearing a mask and, and just being a miserable person inside. But for the moment, I was numb. I was drunk. Things were going well. And then he asked me, he said, you know, hey, do you want to go get some cocaine? Have you done coke? And I was like, I've never done it, but I'll go with you. And so... You know, I'd smoked weed. You know, I've smoked weed in my life for sure. I'm from California. I think, you know, a lot of us were smoking it before it was legal. And, you know, I drank, but, you know, I'd never done cocaine. And so I, I, I went with him. We went downtown. We picked up some coke. I'm totally intoxicated at this time. We go to his place and he lines it up and I try it out. I do one hit, then another. And it feels, it felt amazing. And, and then I smoked some weed with him. And then we decided to go back out. And quite frankly, I don't remember much else after this, just moments. I remember a couple of the spot stops that we went to. Somehow him and I lost place with each other. Me hopping into a cab. And and then I remember maybe an altercation with the cab driver running. A big bang. Thinking to myself, oh, wow, I just fell. Was my head crashed against the concrete. Getting up, running again blacking out, hearing a big bang, and saying the exact same thing. Wow, I just fell. I mean, I was in a very blacked out place. And then I don't remember anything else. Um, I woke up in the hospital. I saw the nurse talking to me. She asked me. I saw my friend Mary Elliott sitting there, a a close friend who's just one of the the many in my tribe who's taken care of me when I haven't been able to take care of myself. And I see the nurse, and she's asking me a bunch of questions about what I had had, and I was open and honest with her about what I had done, marijuana, alcohol, cocaine. And she said to me, are you serious? And I said, yeah. And then I saw the police officer who had actually driven me home when I was driving drunk one night. They pulled me over, and he drove me home and let me off. And I saw him there, and I said, hey, I remember you. And he looked at me, and he said, I can't help you this time, bud. And then I blacked back out. 
Then I remember the next morning waking up, my face stuck to the pillow from dried blood on my couch. Going to the bathroom, seeing that my, one of my front teeth was chipped out like a guillotine shape. My face was swollen, the upper right side, almost unrecognizable. And a text message was on my phone from Mary, and she said, you know, when you get this, call me. So I called her, and she came right over. And she told me that I had gotten to a fight with a cab driver, possibly some police. I got arrested. They released me to her. And uh, that's when I, I, I realized something had to change. Before this happened, um, nothing was going to change me. I had a son that I loved more than breathing. And not even that, not even my love for him could change my behavior. I was in a dark place, a very dark place. But this incident made me realize that something had to change because I knew that my suicide ideations were going to come one way or another, and I needed to change. I knew I was better than that. I knew something needed to change. So I told Mary I need to stop quit. I need to stop drinking. I need to quit. And she was so supportive. She really encouraged me. And I went online and I looked at some anonymous programs and I attended a meeting that same night, the day after, with a swollen face and a chipped tooth, and I was so embarrassed. And I listened to these people tell stories and laugh. And I just thought to myself, how could they be laughing? When I'm in this desperate place, I'm such a, a loser. I'm in this room, and then I realize, no, I'm not. I'm, and they're not either. We're just people who've endured this hard part of life and have handled it ineffectively. And we are desperately looking for a way to fix it, for a way to heal it from the inside out. And so I, I stayed in, the, in, um, in that program for over a year. I, I did counseling. I, I did what it took. And it was good. Life didn't get better in a linear way. I had, you know, three steps forward, sometimes two steps back, but I knew I was always advancing. Sometimes three steps forward, one step back, sometimes just three steps forward. But I knew if I just kept moving, if I just kept stepping forward, you know, looking for jobs, getting off of being unemployed, um, if I tried to heal the relationship with my son as he's this person who I loved so much and, and I wish he never went through seeing me the way that I was, healing relationships and people who I embarrassed myself around from, from my behaviors, forgiving myself for things I did that were deplorable and things that, again, I would judge other people for, and now I was that guy. Learning to forgive myself, I, I did all that. I've had to figure out a way to do this. And then Jill Stratton's voice comes in my head and says, why is this the best thing that could happen to you at this point in your life? And I had to focus on that. And I, and I realized that maybe I had to go back to what worked in the past. The routines, the repetition. Doing the same things over and over again, but doing good things over and over again. Seeing those back into my mind, into my habits, into my behaviors, so that eventually those behaviors would be the default, the good stuff. You are what you repeatedly do. Do cool stuff. Do good stuff. So I did that. I just I just did little things consistently and over and over again. And I eventually started feeling better about myself. Started forgiving myself. I started making amends and, and, and connecting with people who I may have hurt in the past. 
And what I found was that people are amazingly resilient and amazingly forgiving. People know you. They don't expect you to be perfect. They know the core of you. And they know that I'm a good dude. I'm a good man. I'm a good leader. And I'm a great father. So I surrounded myself around good people. I stopped listening to, to negative things. I, I started new routines of listening to podcasts and, and you know, YouTube and you know, people who would just talk about positive things. And I remember when I would listen to these people's interviews, whether it would be Oprah or Maya Angelou or you know, Tony Robbins or you know, athletes or entertainers or educators, I would listen to their stories and I'd always focus in on when they would talk about challenges. And I thought sometimes I would just forward to that part and listen to it over and over again. Because I want to know what was that trick? What was that thing that they did? And it wasn't a trick. It was the same things that I'm telling you here, y'all. It's forgiving yourself. It's self-talk. I, developing better habits. Burning them in. Repetition. And, and then I remember talking to my mentors like Jill and Ricky Hall. Ricky Hall. Shout out to Ricky Hall, one of the vice presidents at University of Washington in Seattle. I asked him one day in a trip to Seattle, Ricky, what's your secret? You've been through so much in your career. Hard things. What's your secret? just asking and listening to stories of people. And Ricky told me, self-talk. I, I tell myself a different story, a better story. So thank you, Ricky. So self-talk, I mean, if my brain's going to run, I might as well use it to occupy it with conversations that are more positive about myself than these other conversations that I had previously. That I, Conversations about being worthwhile, about being courageous, about being honest and powerful and kind and loving and calm, about being disciplined, and about taking action. And I say these things to this day. I still say the same mantras every day. Part of my routine also was, um, was, was listening to the same music mix every morning, positive music, and, and exercising, moving my body. And, and so, you know, life moved forward. And, and what I found was, again, life's not linear. Uh, I, I endured other setbacks, right? I mean, you know, I engaged, I engaged in a relationship that was unhealthy, and you know, some of those behaviors, you know, came back. I quit a nonprofit. Some of those behaviors came back around drinking, you know, and I, I remembered saying, "No, I am equipped. I'm fortified to do something different." And being able to make intentionally different choices, going back to the default, it was incredible. And having a tribe around me, people who look like me, people who don't look like me just listening to their stories, letting them love on me, accepting their love, and knowing that I am valuable, I am worth it. Even Leadership, this great organization called Leadership, where they have an institute around the country where I teach for, and, and they used to have this video they shared where uh, one of the people said, I am a contribution. That's even another thing I tell myself. I am a contribution. I'm worthwhile, and I give something. And that's what this is all about, just being a contribution. So I finally... I'm at the stage in life where, despite maybe uh, a few tears here and there of happiness or sadness or, or whatever it is, despite that, I'm an incredibly grateful person. I'm grateful every day. I've accepted the fact that it may be what you did, but it's not who you are. These are just actions. Those aren't, just, those aren't me. Those things that I did were things that I did, but they're not who I am. I'm a different person because what I do consistently is good stuff. And I'm a good man. So here we are, seven years later, and my career continues to rise. I've had the fortune of taking on this new role and having a loving son who's 
who we grew up together, who's just one of the most wonderful people. He's now uh, a senior in college at Co College, and he's just an amazing human being uh, with an amazing girlfriend and an amazing grand dog. I'm lucky now I have a dog. Yeah, I have a grand dog named Okoda. And and so, yeah, I'm just I'm grateful for all of that. I just have so many great things in my life that I that I have to say. And so every day I just say my gratitudes for all the things that I have. So, you know, I would just like to say that all the good things in my life had to come through some some rough parts, whether it's on the early side of things or on the later side of things. But the one thing I will say is um, when you're going through a hard time, just take a second and pause and think to yourself that this is usually a sign that something pretty special could happen on the other end if you just keep going, if you just persist. And so I think that's so important. So thank you all for listening to my story. I didn't know what this experience was going to be like, and I, and I do hope that you you enjoy it. Um, as hard as it was to tell those truths and the fact that um, maybe it puts me in a vulnerable state, um, it just needs to be out there. I appreciate y'all listening to The Best Worst Thing. I, I'm super excited to say that we have season two that's going to be coming out probably in the next month or so. Um, so I really hope that you do stay tuned. Uh, it's, there's going to be a wide variety of great leaders and hosts telling their stories, maybe taking some vulnerabilities. And, and hopefully there's a lesson or two that will be out there that will really resonate with you and that you can take on, maybe pass on to other people that can help make this life experience just a little bit easier, a little better, and, and give you the courage to live the lives that you are all meant to live. So I wish you the best. Much love. And thank you. Thank you for listening to the Best Worst Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Willey. Music is produced by DJ Josh One. You can follow him at Boom Note on Instagram and Twitter and Josh One on Spotify. The Best Worst Thing Podcast is edited by Cool Jets Audio and Visual. You can find them at Cool Jets AV on Instagram. Our marketing is designed by Francesca Daniels. You can find her at Frank and Kitty 24 on Instagram. And our overall design is by Inspired Design with Ryan Daniels. You can find them at getinspired.design on Instagram. Please download us from iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. And remember to share us with your friends, especially those people you think really need us in their life. Don't forget to give us a five-star review. Thank you for listening to The Best Worst Thing. Like Fraser, force of Fantasia, move through your suburb, hike.